Before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Unfinished, for making this episode possible. Unfinished is a full-stack Webflow design and development agency that helps companies at the startup and enterprise level build creative and innovative websites. Thank you to RR and the whole team for supporting the podcast, and now let's get back to the episode. Yeah, so you can start whenever you'd like, and you can do as many times as you want, and we'll just cut up to the one that you like. It's all very editable. Great. Well, Emily, uh, my name is Harold Hambrose. I'm the Chief Design Officer at Zenda, which is a design consultancy on the 50th floor of the Chrysler Building in Manhattan, and it's a relatively new company. I've got a team of behavioral scientists and designers of all stripes helping people design work. Great intro. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you here. I don't know if you remember how we first met. It was like forever ago. And I was probably one of the many people that you interviewed for Carnegie Mellon. Yeah, <laughs> I talked to you on the phone back when I was like 18 years old Aww. when I was applying for school. And now I am graduated from college. I graduated like two years ago. And my conversation with you was actually my first time I ever heard the words user experience design or anything like that because I was going to school for graphic design. Oh, wow. Gee. <laughs> so turn the clock back and got to conversations about graphic design. <laughs> I went to school for graphic design. A little bit like you, I actually discovered UX in my senior year of college. And so I made that that switch after studying graphic design for four years. And I bet you it was just really um, like overwhelming to just study one thing and then when you graduate you like oh there's this new thing that i'm really interested in and I'm gonna learn all about it and and see where that goes yeah well i probably had it a little easier than you did <laughs> other thing really kind of didn't exist <laughs> sort of like there was no rigor to it i kind of didn't know i was doing it and so yeah. It was, uh yeah it wasn't that sort of distinct a leap it was just kind of a meandering but you you had to make a real distinct choice and it, <laughs> There was a world out there sort of waiting for you. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, though, that that is a little bit easier for me because more people that have done it before is not as brand new. <laughs> and so there are a lot of people to turn to for advice. Meanwhile, uh, when when things were starting out, there's not a lot of people who could turn to advice. There wasn't a million YouTube videos about what this was or how do you explain to your parents like what you're doing? <laughs> you know, I have a graphic design degree and I'm... I'm working in a lab full of computer scientists. Exactly. My parents are pretty sure that what you're doing is illegal. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to ask you, one of my favorite questions to ask to start out um, a podcast is, when you were a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I wanted to be a doctor. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I really did. And I, I still kind of wish I had. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of design in medicine. And so I guess there was some, there's been tremendous satisfaction in what I do for me, but yeah, I wish I had been a doctor. What was the thought process behind that? Like what kind of kid were you at that age? Oh, I was a very introverted kind of weird kid. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of stuck to myself and yeah, it's pretty quiet. Drew a lot. Mm -hmm. Big family, you know, seven of us. Really? A span of nine years or 10 years. And so, yeah, it was like a, I, it was like a ball of chaos. And so that can drive the, I don't know, it's like the fifth of seven. So like you, you kind of like build your own little world. And so, yeah, so I spent a lot of time in my head. 
Mm -hmm. I remember reading in, in your book that um, you wanted to be very creative. And when you were graduating high school, you, you wanted to do creative things. And your parents were like, I don't know if that's the best option for you. And then graphic design was more of like the, um, the closest thing to something that was like business-like. Yeah, I, you know, yeah. I, I grew up in a pretty sort of mainstream kind of middle America family. And, you know, the arts were not a big thing in our house. And, and so... Yeah, some sort of commercial application of that creative stuff made a lot more sense to the people around me than, hey, I want to go paint. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that, that made it much more practical. Where, where did you grow up? I grew up in a little little suburban town uh, in South Jersey, outside Philadelphia, called Haddon Heights. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's next to, well, you know, it's kind of cliche American town, a little main street and lots of tiny houses. It's nice. What was it like growing up there? Uh, it, you know, it was the seventies. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think it was a different time. Um, mm -hmm. it was bicycles and, you know, you get up at eight o'clock in the morning, in the summer, you leave the house, you get home for dinner and that's it. Like you just, you were just ran with a pack of kids all day. Um, yeah. It was great. It was really nice. You know, you could walk to school and it was very sort of, and you know, back then it was a different world. Not, nobody had a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 and uh, you know, and, and so it was a different time, different place. It was a good, it was a good place to grow up. What yeah. was it like growing up with uh, being one of seven? Oh, chaotic. <laughs> It was tough. I mean, it was, it was tough, but I mean, we didn't have much at all. Um, and, uh, yeah, my, my parents worked hard and we all had to make our own way. And, and, you know, the public school in town wasn't much, didn't have much to offer. So we, my parents wanted us in private school, but that meant we all had to pay our way through it. So we had to work our way through high school and tuition and then of course, you know, here comes college and you had to pay your way through college. And, um, but you know, we did it. Um, my parents made education the most important thing, even though they didn't have much of anything to pay for it. So yeah. <laughs> they, like, you know, they encouraged us as much as they could. And, and it was a good thing to do. The education was kind of the, the center point. It was how, mm -hmm. you know, if basically the understanding was get yourself educated and you will find happiness. And, and I, that was a pretty good that was a pretty good bit of instruction. Yeah, I think of all of the things to to encourage for your kids, I think uh, independence and education is probably up there on the list. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if, uh, <laughs> if more people just focus <laughs> a little bit more on getting themselves educated? <laughs> um, what kind of jobs did, did you and your siblings work in, in high oh. school and growing up? Um, <laughs> well, we all started our various paper roots at like eight or nine or 10. And then, mm -hmm. by the, you know, I think when you were 14, you were legally able to work at like a legit operation. So we all worked at fast food restaurants. I, I worked at a Ponderosa steakhouse, which was okay. a great life lesson. <laughs> <laughs> as, as good a motivator as you'll ever find. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we worked at lots of jobs like that. I, you know, you, you worked wherever you could, you know, sometimes you could mow a couple lawns, you could do some jobs for relatives. You could, you know, whatever, whatever was on, whatever was out there, you did it. 
Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I have a really good friend that told me um, uh, he he graduated high school and then he just wasn't really quite ready to go into college. He didn't know what he wanted to study and he felt like it'd be kind of a waste if he went to study and he really didn't know what he, what he wanted to do. So he took like a year off and and worked a job that he absolutely hated. Um, and he said that that was the greatest motivator for him to uh, know what he wants to do and take school really, really seriously because he just hated this job so much. And as soon as he got into a place where he said, okay, this is my ticket, this education is my ticket into what I want to do, um, he was so much more focused and so much more motivated than all the other kids in his graduating class. Say it's um, those jobs when you're young, I don't think people pay enough attention to them. My, my wife and I did. We had, we raised two daughters and, um, you know, their, their life was very different from my own. Um, they, mm-hmm. you know, it's been, a, I've been fortunate enough to provide well for them, but they, uh, materially, they, um, we were at our summer little village in upstate New York, where we spent our summers with the kids when they were small. And when our oldest turned 12, 13, we asked the woman who ran the local diner if we didn't want to take a job from a local person, you know, jobs are scarce up mm. there, but we asked if, if we would pay her salary, would she let her work? You know, we'll pay mm-hmm. her wages. Will you let her work in your restaurant? And, and the woman was like, you know, that's awesome. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> and, and it was, uh, you, you know, it was really important to one, be able to do that, to set that situation up. Um, uh, but it, I think it really opened my daughter's eyes up to an entirely different world of of things going on. So, yeah, those jobs are important. What kind of lessons do you think that you saw her learn? Like, I'm sure it's different to, to be kind of watching as third person rather than being the kid that's experiencing it. Well, I think that, that you know, look, one, one that we heard about was, you know, hey, you're just going to have to do what you're told to do. You know, guess what? You're just gonna have to bite your lip, and mm-hmm. if that's the way your boss wants you to do it, you do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that's the way a customer wants it, that's the way. You know, that's you're just going to have to do it. I think that was that was a big lesson um, mm-hmm. that that's how work is. And I'm I don't think that lesson. A lot of people get that lesson <laughs> much later, and it's much harder to to learn. Uh, but it, but I also think it, it gave her. And she 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 grew up, you know, in a pretty rough neighborhood. We lived in a kind of a dodgy area of Philadelphia where we raised our kids. Mm-hmm. We were on the border of uh, Germantown and, and Germantown's one of the roughest neighborhoods in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she wasn't blind to, you know, people with different backgrounds, but I think working side by side with kids with much less was also a, a really good experience for her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every parent who's been able, fortunate enough to give their kids to, you know, you, you are so lucky. <laughs> so, you see, you know, it gave her a, a broader picture of the world. One thing that I've noticed with, because um, I, I spend a lot of time uh, nannying kids of like different uh, backgrounds and like different um, uh, family situations and things like that. And so one thing that I noticed uh, with, with all of these families and all these kids is like, like the worst thing that's ever happened to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And what you don't know is what you don't know. So mm-hmm. like a lot of these kids, like uh, they'll they'll like freak out over something that may seem so silly. I'm like, oh, your life is so great and you're so secure and, and everything's so great. Um, but just there's so much out there that that they just 
they just don't know. And once you're exposed to, to different things, um, then you can see that that uh, um, that world picture kind of just uh, the dots getting cleared with being exposed to different things. Yeah, you know, and it's 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 a sad. I mean, it's 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 tough for kids who live in an insulated world that find themselves in adulthood without that kind of those sorts of perspectives and mm-hmm. a big challenge in the world. And our kids, we made the conscious choice to raise our kids in Philadelphia. We knew that Philadelphia is a challenging place to, mm-hmm. to raise a family, um, but we think we we're all the better for it mm-hmm. uh, with what the kids, the kids were able to get involved in and and the friends they made and the environments they found themselves in, they were, they were challenging at times, you know, to, to drive kids home from school who had to change out of their uniforms in the back of the car. Cause nobody in the neighborhood could see them in a uniform. That's, that's eye-opening stuff. Um, really? Like no, they, they, they felt um, like they would be bullied or something like that. They couldn't let kids in the neighborhood know they were going to some fancy school. Um, really? Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's just the way it was. Uh, and, and our kids knew this stuff like they and, you know, they had friends that parents had jets and they had friends whose whose family lived in a project in Center City, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you know what, when these girls were all together, you couldn't tell one from the other. Yeah. You know? And that that was fantastic. That was a, it was it was a privilege to have that environment to raise my children. in. So. I um I've lived in Philadelphia for the last six years. Um, and so I, I've lived in uh, West Philly, um, and, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it was very eye-opening because I came from uh, a suburb outside of Philly. Um, I came from Lehigh Valley. Um, mm-hmm. and so, uh, I think one of the big educations of, uh, coming to school and, and, and living somewhere else is really just that, like living somewhere else and, and realizing, oh my gosh, not everything is a suburb. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like there, it's, I was just so, I was just so insulated. I just didn't know. Um, but, uh, what, like, I don't know, coming here, it, it really, really taught me a lot. Um, and, uh, I was also curious about, um, what kind of life lessons uh, you learned in your, your high school jobs and your odd jobs, um, before going to college. <laughs> Stay focused. This could be you the rest of your life. <laughs> it could be so simple, but um, mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, I, I I think one of the things it taught me was um, how fortunate I was. We didn't have a lot materially, but um, I even at that young age, I could see the advantage I had, mm. uh, and and it I had the privilege of of being in a, a home where people loved each other and and looked after each other even though they didn't have any money um mm-hmm. i worked with a lot of kids who didn't have money and didn't have the environment i had and i i knew how lucky i was uh so that i was an eye opener um and so i i think until that point i always equated like oh my god this sucks i live in a terrible place why can't we have more mm-hmm. uh, and then i think those jobs sort of shook that out of me sometimes you know black she mm-hmm. got you got a lot um and even today that you know the dialogue in popular media is that you know you there are you you do have certain advantages who you are in this world and it's not always economic um and and we all need to own those advantages and recognize them and the disadvantages other people have so 
that that was a great life lesson. And I also learned, you know, the value of hard work. Um, You know, I, I could work more and more hours and keep my grades up, then my life was a little easier. Um, And so I just worked as hard as I could um, to build as much buffer around me as I could, you know, where I didn't need things from other people. I didn't have to worry about getting stuff from someone else. So that was a good life lesson. And I think, you know, 45 years later, (laughs) I'm still working 12 hours a day, (laughs) seven days a week, which is good. And, 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 you know, and, and I, and I really do. Yeah. I, I don't mind. I don't think work is a bad thing. I think work is work gives your time on this planet meaning. Mm-hmm. So. And um, can you talk to me a little bit more about that, about like having a career and having a job that that really is really meaningful? And especially if you look back on other times in your career, or maybe like that, that job uh, in, in high school, where th- maybe that wasn't the case. <laughs> and the difference between the two. <laughs> Briefs into McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so I've had this really confused career where um, I, I had no plan. I didn't mean for things to happen the way they did. But I, but I always like, I always loved this work. I was doing this thing called design, and mm-hmm. and uh, I, I learned early on that it's it had an almost universal application. It's why I left graphic design for this new thing in the late '80s. Like, hey, maybe designers should be involved in software development, and, and you know, an industry saying like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, you don't write mm-hmm. code, so what could you possibly do for us? But there was this sort of like belief in me that, and and a handful of others, and I mean a handful, like we all knew each other, um, <laughs> and, we, and we knew where where we all worked around the country. But really? the, the this, I loved what I was doing. It was such hard work being a designer, um, even as a student. It was an incredibly hard program to get through. It was pain, it's to this day it's one of the most painful things I ever did was study design for four years at Carnegie Mellon. It was awful. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just, you know, you went to design school and it was, mm-hmm. it was really hard, but I left with this belief, like this love of this thing. And, and, and so I went off to try to push it into a new place and lo and behold, a company grew up around me and, and I wound up hating, like not in retrospect, I, I never wanted to run a company. I never wanted to be anyone's boss. I just wanted to frankly, see what I could do with design. And I wound up creating an environment where I created a situation where others got to do that. You know, like Mm -hmm. I went out and like started rattling cages and convincing like the New York Stock Exchange in the early 90s to hire me and a band full of designers to come in and do some really important work for them. And it was extraordinary. But I found myself, I wasn't doing the work. I was letting other people do it. And I was going off to find the next project. And what I did was build this tremendous record of bringing good designers together to work on really important work. And then looking at myself saying, I I never want to grow a company. I wanted to just, I just want to play with this thing called design. And I finally feel like I'm at Zenda. I'm kind of in that role now is is like um, hands-on. I'm in the work. It's, I've got this really great team of people and I don't have the pressures of, you know, this big infrastructure and, you know, like, Hey, you got a hundred people to 
to pay at the end of the week. Mm-hmm. You better, better focus on getting more business. Yeah. <laughs> it, but like I, I was, I've never been afraid of hard work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, and it's really great when you love the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, you know, at school, there's this Andrew Carnegie quote, you know, my heart is in the work. And we all kind of leave that place with that in our heads, you know, just if you love it, it's not really work anymore. I don't know. I think that's really interesting. I can't imagine what that kind of pressure is like to, to be in that situation, like to, to have all those people depending on you and then to kind of look around like, well, this was never the intention. I, this, this kind of, did it, did it feel like something like it was something that happened to you? Where, yeah, obviously I worked really hard to create this company, but like, where am I? I just woke up. <laughs> like, like this introverted kid yeah. who just developed this fascination with design suddenly had people like looking to him to be like, are you my mentor? You can't, like, why aren't you being nicer to me? Why aren't you doing it? It's like, I don't know. Like, why do you need me to be nice? Like, I got, I'm busy. Like, you know, it's like, I brought you this great project. Just go, like, do it. Have fun. Yeah. Because now I got to go get another project, so they so they stay busy and they stay busy. But it was um, it's a tremendous amount of pressure. I think it's why design firms never get to a certain mass and maintain their, you know, it just. I think there's some character like myself who just finally is like exhausted. Mm-hmm. And it it just eventually, it's like <laughs> enough. Yeah. And then you like you look back and it's like you know. It's like, I don't know. I think, I think I was a jerk at times. And I, I, you know, I, I think I, I did love the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think I created a space where some, I would say a bunch of people who worked at electronic ink might say it's some of the best work they ever did. Um, mm-hmm. I'm most proud of having created that environment. I'm, I'm kind of sad that I wasn't more in the weeds with all of them. Um, and instead was off kind of banging a drum, convincing clients to come on board and get the mm-hmm. next. I it, it sounds uh like a just necessary, even if it's not preferred, that that role that you were in. <laughs> Somewhere there's gotta be people creating those environments yeah. for designers. Otherwise designers yeah. have to do the good work. Um, exactly. And I guess a, a designer is a good character to go out and create that interest in the marketplace. Yeah. Who who can speak better about design than a designer, right? So Yeah. I, I can tell you now that um uh I actually had uh, Kent Eisenhuth on my uh on my well, podcast. I, I listened to <laughs> Oh really? <laughs> I did. I love yeah. Kent. He he was wonderful and, and he was talking about his time there. Um and uh and actually one of my my best friends from uh, design school. Um, she's actually a, a UX researcher at, at Frog. Um, hmm. uh, so that, that I think that's that's really interesting. And for for anybody that doesn't know, um, uh, the the connection with Frog and uh, Electronic Ink. Uh, yeah, we were uh, uh, we were part of the great wave of design firm acquisitions, <laughs> uh, and so we wound up being sort of consumed by a, a company called liquid hub which before our deal was complete was acquired by cap gemini mm. uh, which owned frog which bought frog and then what was electronic ink is now a frog studio so that's interesting 
Yeah, she's uh, she absolutely loves it. Um, working and she we she as a UX designer and as a UX researcher, we just have all these chats about, about work and everything. And when she told me that uh, she got the interview at Frog, I actually thought of you and Ken. I was like, oh, that's really funny. <laughs> I love yeah. Ken. He's Ken. Was, um, in fact, he he's he's just one of the most talented guys that ever went through that studio. And I, I think that's great. You know, it's wonderful when you meet a really talented designer, but I, I can say that Kent is probably one of the finest people that ever worked at that company. And that's, that's way more, that has much more important to me than the talent thing. Kent was a really, he's a really good guy. Um, so, and in fact, my partner, one of my, my wife and I, we have a third partner in our firm. Mm -hmm. um, she was actually a client of Electronic Inc. back in the really? day. And Kent was on her project and she <laughs> talked about Kent. <laughs> you know, what, what's Kent doing? I love Kent. And she was a high-powered uh, person at a, a big Wall Street firm. And, and she was a really tough customer, really tough. Mm -hmm. uh, and Kent was just such a good guy that... Uh, she loved him. She she said she could always get a straight answer out of him. He could. He was never sort of unflinchingly honest with her, um, and didn't hurt that he had one hell of a uh, toolkit going. Yeah, for really good guy. Uh, he actually. Um, uh, did you know that he he wrote a book recently? Yes, I did. Yeah, copies yeah. in the office. Yes. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he's great. I haven't I haven't gotten his his book yet, but um, when it was coming out, like when he was doing some some last final stuff, that's when I, I got to sit down with him and chat. And um, it was just a really cool thing that I could chat with him at the, that little moment in his life um, right before his book came out. That's exciting. It's a really exciting time. And he's done a really good job of it looks like he's doing a really good job of promoting it. So he's he's I mean, as ever. Kent's doing yeah. he's doing everything correctly so he's, he's as you'd expect what um uh we'll, we'll we'll come back to you in a, in a moment but I was just curious like <laughs> what um what about him made him such a such a great guy and quality person outside of the work that he did um Kent had he's he's one of those uh professionals who has this this um, honesty about him that is he it's this sort of like very clear view into a guy who is both expert and student simultaneously all the time he hmm. he is he's he's deft at his craft he knows what he's doing and he's also learning all the time and he's willing to expose you to both depending on what you need um, or who you are, or where you are at the moment. Um, and he treats his clients the same way as he treats his design peers. I, you know, just just watching him work. I mean, I've, I've been in boardrooms with him at the 11th hour on a project where a client will say, that's not working, Kent. And Kent will say, tell me, tell me, tell me why you think it's not working. And, and he'll listen and listen and listen and not struggle to convince them, just listen. And then he'll take that away and do what a professional does and and have another go. And and he he's just great. He's 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 a good good guy. So he's the kind of guy that um uh will understand that, hey, you know what? Maybe 
I'm not the one that's always right. Maybe the user is right or the client is right. And if I'm not understanding what they're saying, maybe I just need to ask them more questions to understand why this isn't working. Yes. Yeah. And that sounds like common sense, right? <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> I really think a lot of people don't get that. And they think that they can convince. They can, you know, hey, this is my best effort. So I'm really going to kind of push. Yeah. When, no, you should just <laughs> listen. You know? mm -hmm. Maybe you're just one degree off, but just listen. Yeah. Uh, going back a little bit in time, though, um, I was just curious, what, what school did you graduate from uh, in grade school uh, before going away to college? <laughs> just curious, because like, I'm nearby. Um, I, might, I might know the school. <laughs> I, I went to St. Rose of Lima. Hmm. elementary school and then i went to pope paul the sixth high school okay and yeah. that's that's still in jersey yeah they're both in jersey yes yeah <laughs> good parochial school <laughs> <laughs> and um I, I one thing that i think is interesting in, in a person's life is like the six months before graduating high school um, I think that's interesting because that's when you're doing a lot of the applications, when a lot of really important decisions get made. Um, there's often a lot of stress over, okay, where am I going to go? How is this going to work? What was that six month period like for you looking back on it? Were you excited to graduate or were you nervous about what was next? Oh, uh, yeah, I was, I was excited to graduate. <laughs> the hell out of New Jersey. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hated my high school. I just hated really minute of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was an incredibly big high school. Uh, it, you know, I, it wasn't the healthiest social environment. It's very sort of like very, there was this sort of social pecking order that permeated the faculty as well. And students were treated differently depending on who you were, not just what you knew or, you know, your, your abilities. And so it was like, I just, I, it was just utterly corrupt in my eyes. And I wanted out. I just wanted mm. to get away from that place as fast as I could. Um, mm. And my home life was miserable. My parents were splitting up and it was it, like everything about that period of my life was <laughs> what a weird thing to ask me. Like the, the six months that were utterly horrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a, it's a really significant time in people's lives because there's so much change. There's so much going on. Yeah. Yeah. It was a terrible time. Terrible. Yeah. And when I got to college, maybe that's why that place and that time in the studies just had such an effect on me because I was so open to anything, but what I had known previously. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. What was it like um, moving out of your town? I couldn't wait to leave. <laughs> Like what was that day like? Do you do you remember that day? I don't. I I remember um no, my siblings had all gone away to college too. Mm. And so I guess I felt like I was just doing what kids in the True. family do. Um so I'm not sure I sort of marked it in my head as as significant. But I mm -hmm. I do remember when I got to school thinking, hey, yeah, no, this I need to be here and not ever back there. Yeah. Uh, and so I, that's what I did. I just and the stayed. drive, <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> the drive? Yeah, the drive from Jersey to Pittsburgh is far. It is very far. <laughs> um, yeah, the Pennsylvania Turnpike gives you a lot of time to come. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I actually was sitting, I do remember sitting in the back seat of my parents' car, uh, pulling out the paperwork for college that I, you know, I managed all of that, like the financial aid forms. I was sort of like going through my paperwork. And I decided somewhere along the ride that maybe I ought to read a little more about this graphic design thing. I had just agreed to study. <laughs> so, I, Good timing. Yeah. You have a couple hours. Today. <laughs> I, uh, I did a little bit more sort of looking into the brochures than I had previously. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and I kind of didn't know what I was getting myself into because when I got there, it was a very different scenario that the program that made my year an experiment um, at the school where they took all the fine arts students and the design students and smashed them together for a year and, and the faculty as well. Uh, so there were four sections of freshman art and design students. And, um, you know, we had the, you know, like my 3d design teacher freshman year was a sculptor. Uh, and my drawing teacher was, she was a painter. Um, it like even looking through the design books to find out what design is didn't prepare me for like the first day in class to walk in. It's like holy hell! Like what are we doing here? You know? Yeah. It was, and it was fantastic. It was the best, most intense, tough, fascinating year for me as a student. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that was that that was a huge change for you because i'm imagining with that long drive you're not going home that often like it was a full immersion new new life i mean i i didn't go i mean my parents couldn't afford to bring me home for thanksgiving i, I stayed a whole semester um wow and you know wandered around campus on thanksgiving day <laughs> <laughs> yeah a yeah. lot of like I, I didn't realize like how often um like the experience the international kids at least uh mm are living because uh, I mean, you were kind of living the, the, that lifestyle a little bit because you were there for the entire semester. Yeah. 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 I wasn't going home. Um, yeah. just cause it was just too, it was too far and too expensive. And so mm -hmm. I, I mean, I never flew on a plane the whole time I was in college. Yeah. yeah in fact, I'd only been on a plane once in my life. And where was that? I'm just curious. <laughs> God, I went on a class trip for uh for high school. It was like this like this rite of passage as a senior. You went to Disney World with the class. Really? That was horrible. Horrible. <laughs> was it was your school a uh an all-boys school? No, no. Oh, okay. Co-ed, it was gigantic. I think like 600 kids in my class or something ridiculous. It was yeah. like crazy large school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna put this podcast up. I'm gonna like hate now. No, absolutely not. Absolutely, I'm sure there's many people that have similar experiences and probably relate to it. <laughs> it just wasn't a nice place. I mean, people were not. I mean, it was uh, not a nice place. Yeah. One thing I graduated from a school that was like really, really big, and um, we had about 900 kids in my grade, and. Oh. Uh, yeah, Lehigh Valley. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I graduated, and my sister, actually, her grade had over a 1,000 kids in, in her grade. Um, and it was just a really, really big school. And the one thing that I did like, though, about that was, um, and I think I had just a different environment than you did growing up, um, but 
nothing was ever too serious in terms of like if I made a mistake or if I did something embarrassing, it wasn't really that big of a deal because there were so many people that I had to choose from to be friends with. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I talk with some of my friends and, and they say things like, yeah, my graduating class is like a hundred kids or 200 kids or 300 kids. And, um, I've known them since we were in kindergarten and, and it makes me think that if you like mess up or you do something embarrassing, or maybe you're growing up and you make a mistake and you're mean to somebody and then you grow past it, like th- those mistakes that you make follow you through the whole year because you can't just make new friends these are the only people that you have access to and that's one thing that i loved about uh having a, such a big school is because nothing was ever too serious and you had a lot of room to grow and and grow up that's nice i i don't think we had the room to grow yeah i think that we had we had sort of an oppressive environment that inhibited <laughs> and it, it it did teach you about relationships. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there were teachers that I developed relationships, which gave me what I needed in that mm-hmm. place. I remember I had an English teacher, Dorothy Hildebrand. She was great. <laughs> it's always the high school English teachers that are it the is. ones that teach you everything about life. <laughs> They're awesome. <laughs> and, you know, what's she like? Uh, she was just a thought. Like, I was like, like, like she just, uh, she just seemed to give a crap. Like she just seemed mm-hmm. to care mm-hmm. and not in a way of like, you know, Harold, how are you? It's like, no, no. All I wanted from a teacher was a fair shot. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, an opportunity to perform, to learn, to, to engage. And she gave me that. Um, and everywhere else in the place just seemed to be this sort of like factory of disinterested people move going through the motions. Mm-hmm. And you're just sort of like, what the hell is this? Like, uh, I, think I, I don't know what I need from this place, but I, I need something. And yeah. I, I just found myself wandering through the place, wondering like, what, what's the purpose of all this? Like, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never had that question in my head once at Carnegie Mellon. Like, really? Was, like, yeah, I was just engaged every second of every day with everyone. It was, mm-hmm. you know people wanted stuff from me and I could get stuff from others. It was great. What was the thought process on why you wanted to go there and why you wanted to go all the way to this place that was super far away? Like what was your (laughs) thought process behind like choosing Carnegie Mellon among all of the other schools that are out there? So it was luck. luck. So back in the eighties, when you were a junior in high school, the mailbox started to fill up and you mm. would beautiful brochures from hundreds of colleges everywhere. You know, just, I mean, they're just so glamorous and lovely and everybody sort of making their pitch. And it was almost like you didn't know what to do with all of it. Um, and uh, one, I lived in my grandma, we lived with my grandmother and, and my grandmother came into the dining room one morning and said, uh, um, there was a brochure from Carnegie Mellon on the table and she, she sort of was paging through it and she turned it over and slid it across the table to me. And she goes, you want to apply there, Carnegie Mellon. Those people have a lot of money. (laughs) 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 And I honestly, I I remember the front cover of that book and I, 
I, uh, I remember looking more carefully at it and thinking, you know, she's got a point. Uh, <laughs> maybe I should look at this. And then I did a little homework on their, their art school is of course, very good. Um, mm-hmm. And then of course I thought I don't have a chance of getting in there, but let's give it a shot. And then, and then when I applied to Carnegie Mellon, I was told, what did they tell me? Um, my guidance counselor told me I was, you're too smart to go to art school. So don't waste your money on that place. And your guidance counselor. Yeah. I was like, this is a fabulous school at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Very <That's> encouraging. Just, <laughs> I remember saying to my parents, they said, I'm too smart to go to art school. And my, I remember my mother looking so puzzled, like, okay, that that's a ridiculous notion. Like that. Mm. It's like, it's like saying you're too tall to play basketball. I mean, just like <laughs> to be an artist. And my mother's like, well, why don't we just ignore her and go do your thing? And that was, and then when I got accepted, I remember telling the school I got accepted. And my guidance counselor suggested that um, go out there for a semester and then you can transfer to a good school like St. Joe's. And okay. I was like, <laughs> I'm not knocking St. Joe's, but I don't think the art program is 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 <laughs> Yeah. It's like holy hell. Like, is this place just set up to defeat me? You know, just that's so weird. Yeah. It was a strange experience. I had a very a similar experience with a friend in in high school. Um, we were, it was like I think the last day of school or something like that in senior year, and uh, she was sitting right next to me. And she said, so, Em, like, what are you doing after school? What are you going to, like, what do you want to be? Like, all this kind of stuff. And I said, yeah, like, so I'm going to go to design school and I'm going to study graphic design. And she paused and and she and I had been in all the same classes. Like, in, in my in my high school, it was a huge, like, 900 kids school. But I'd say there's probably, like, 40 kids that were in, like, all the same AP classes, all the same stuff like that. And so that kind of was my friend group. So we had been in like this friend group together and she looked at me really puzzled when I said I wanted to go study design. And she said, but why? <laughs> she said, Emily, like you, you could just be a doctor or something. Like, why, why are you, what are you doing? Like she was so, she couldn't wrap her head around me wanting to do something that wasn't like one of these four or five professions that in her head were, were the legitimate ones. Um, and uh, it, it didn't help because, like, I I also talked with uh, someone else later on, um, uh, and I was trying to decide between going to Drexel and going to University of Cincinnati. Um, and I was trying to figure out, like, what I wanted to do and, and where I wanted to go and everything like that. And um, uh, someone suggested to me that, that I go to um, uh, Drexel because there are a lot of uh, engineers there. Um, and... Uh, it would help me with like uh my my uh like marriage prospects because I wouldn't be able to take care of myself as a designer or a person in a creative field like I would need to marry someone and if I was going to go to one of these schools I should go to the place where the engineers are and I was like "Uh, okay (laughs) so I can tell you like I've had those experiences too where um some of it is legitimate like maybe maybe uh it doesn't make as much sense to somebody who doesn't know about user experience design or graphic design or anything like that. They might think that they're doing it out of, they're saying this out of love. Um, but it is definitely confusing when you're, when you're 18 and you're trying to decide what you want to do with your life. 
Yeah, thankfully, I don't. Maybe that's one of the advantages of the last this sort of design thinking catastrophe that happened in our industry the last seven years. <laughs> uh, there is an understanding of design now that maybe maybe helps with that situation a little bit um, mm-hmm. more than more than perhaps we had to deal with. I mean, I used mm-hmm. to when I would speak at I used to speak at a lot of software conferences. People would ask me to get up and speak because I was a designer. People would be like, what the hell is a designer doing here? What's he got to say? Mm-hmm. And I remember one of the things I used to do is like, hey, raise your hand. You're, hey, your kid wants to go to design school. How many people are going to encourage that? And you'd get like nothing, right? <laughs> you know, Steve Jobs dies and everybody's talking about design and, I, you know, those same conferences. I'm like, hey, how many people here, if your kid said, I want to go to design school, you'd be excited and a hand shoot up, you know? <laughs> I'll send my kid to design school. That would be great. Like, what happened? Like, what, yeah. what, what's the shift? And I always say that the shift was Steve Jobs and his, Steve Jobs died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and everybody was sort of like, oof. He said it was design that made Apple successful. So we want some of that. Yeah. And then all hell broke loose. <laughs> 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 and now we have like all of these different things. And uh, actually my, my first introduction to, to UX design outside of you and outside of my one coding professor in, in college was uh, just a, a YouTuber girl uh, who worked at Instacart and was talking about product design and, and all of the different things um, with uh, creating apps and, and like what software is and all of this kind of stuff. And I would watch it on my exercise bike as a, like a 21 year old, um, just <laughs> watching all of her videos saying, Oh, this is interesting. Maybe I should check something out like this. Like I, I love graphic design, but I always feel like something's missing. I don't know what that thing is. Maybe it's this. Well, okay. Actually, I want to <laughs> challenge you because I have an idea. So, I, so, uh, this old timer has become, a a bit of a design curmudgeon. <laughs> I I was gripping the edge of my tape, my desk for the last 10 years, listening to IDEO sell design thinking to the world and, and just shuddering at mm-hmm. what's going on and watching people get design certifications, like, you know, through weekend courses, at, you know, at the mall. And <laughs> um, all of a sudden, like I'm watching this design, these design thinking workshops that just seem to be like, like going nowhere. Like, Oh wow. Everybody feels this is fun, but what the hell are you guys really doing here? And so, so something happened along the way when I was a design student, there was no difference in the core description of graphic design and industrial design. In fact, at Carnegie Mellon at that time, those two cohorts of students stayed together for half their time at the university. We only hmm. split toward the end, mm-hmm. the second half. <clears throat> but graphic design changed its nature with this technology thing. And in doing so, I think lost sight of some of its core principles and shifted to this sort of like screen-based world. Everything's a screen, everyone's a user. Industrial design, however, kind of stuck to their knitting. And I remember thinking as one of the early UI designers out there, what's wrong with these industrial design guys? They're just 
plotting away. They're doing the thing, same thing they've ever done. Now I, I, I have more industrial designers working at our current company than any other kind of designer. Really? And none of them are doing industrial design work. The reason I believe they're there is because I think what happened was over the course of the last, I don't know, last 20 years when graphic design started to focus more and more on screens, industrial designers kept to the core of what design is. They, they really kept a certain focus on human being, on place, uh, on event, on th this moment environment and all of the th things used to concern us as graphic designers but as we started to focus on screens we sort of lost that stuff mm. and there's a there's a lack of subtlety to what we do on screen there's a there's almost a formula to it anymore in a certain sense and so i have this thing going on my desk i'm trying to write this article that says I think maybe industrial designers saved us from the brink um, mm. that we, we might want to pull those guys into the center and say, now, like remind us of who we were before this whole screen based thing happened to us. Um, and maybe they've got something to give back to us that we graphic designers maybe let go of when we started to shift our focus to this, this, this user and this screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like seeing people as users rather than, than people. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 uh, I read that article by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, that's one of them, but, but yeah. at, at our company, we don't use that. We don't use the word user. We, we really? just don't. No, we would never use that word Be, because well, it, it it takes a human being and puts them into a place that we don't know they are we don't know that they're really there mm -hmm. and it ignores their context it ignores a lot it it starts it's it's presumptuous mm -hmm. and it it removes opportunity from us that we need to understand so yeah this is yeah so we we try to avoid that term what are some uh, alternative ways of talking about um, users or people in in a conversation? <laughs> people or yeah. by by their role. If if we are designing something that's specific to a, a nurse or a doctor, mm -hmm. I think it's much more appropriate to call them by that title mm -hmm. and all that comes with it than to call them a user. Um, because when you call them a user, they are suddenly in front of your artifact. You've assumed they've engaged. You've, you've assumed that the thing you propose to make is even worthwhile. Mm. And, and that is something as a designer. And, and in fact, in my career, I, can, I can't count the number of times I've asked someone to not make a piece of software. That the problem you're experiencing isn't going to be solved by a piece of technology. It's actually... A policy issue it's a cultural issue it's it's this it's that it's technology won't solve this thing for you mm -hmm. and clients have been grateful for those those moments but i don't think we would have had those moments if we hadn't backed away from this idea of user yeah did you were you exposed to that thought process in college of user clients customer the role 
we, you know, you know, my college, uh, it was so long ago that <laughs> nobody was using that term. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, I'm not sure the, we began to use it when I was working on OS two, uh, when we were at, I, when I was at IBM, mm-hmm. the, the word user became really prevalent. We started to write the CUA guide, which was an industry guideline for designing screens it's like it was called this it's called cua standards common user mm-hmm. access mm-hmm. so we were we had split up writing chapters of that so i was responsible for creating part of that but that's where the user thing came about but at electronic ink what i found was when we were going out into these businesses to look at these users mm-hmm. the researchers were really taking a much broader view of these folks and really trying to keep them as people Mm -hmm. Um, and the data they were bringing back was much richer than the data we needed to inform the design of pieces of a software application. They were bringing back a much broader set of data. And so the clients were saying, Oh boy, show us all of that, please. Um, And that's when electronic ink kind of shifted focus. We, we started to move away from user interface design and that's where this idea of work design was actually born was more and more of our clients wanted that big data set from the whole work event. And sometimes we'd choose to design a piece of software, but other times it it was sort of like, help us figure out this policy thing, help us figure out why so many of these incidents are happening here in the hospital and not there. Help us figure out, how to keep doctors from doing X? How do you keep bankers from doing that? And it was sort of like, and, and it became the same with this data set. We could figure out what could technology do and what could ne- technology never do? Mm-hmm. That's the answer. Too many people with a focus on technology think that's your answer. And typically your answer is a combination of things. Um, and if you're just researching the user, you're probably gonna miss these adjacencies. Can we talk about how different that mindset is and that approach to problem solving than um, when when you wrote about uh, uh, being involved as a designer at the end of a software stage and then being told the phrase, oh, just make it look pretty. Like the the total difference in those life experiences and, and uh, um, meaningfulness behind the work. Can you just tell me about the difference between that? Well, I think it's 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 kind of uh, it's a couple of things. One is I think the difference is the kind of the maturing of a designer, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I think it's my own understanding of design over the life of my career has evolved. Um, I think, and so and so, I I, I tend to be at, at that time of making software prettier. Mm-hmm. I think that I was a designer shaped by the challenge of just getting design into software development, just getting, getting a say somewhere, somehow in the creation of these new kinds of objects that that's very different than a career spent that evolved over making objects to support work and realizing work is more than that object and that design has a role to play in this larger design of an event. Yes, we'll design the tool, but really you got to design this event. That's really the the difference is, is sort of like 
space and time is, you know, 30 years ago, I was just bribing programmers to give me 10 minutes of their time to listen to what I thought of what they were doing and keeping my fingers crossed that I might have some effect. And I would take effect in whatever form I can. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, it still looks like crap, but it works better. <laughs> <laughs> like at, at least uh, uh, they, they give me some room today. Maybe they'll give me a little bit more room tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or at least they've let me come around and look at their stuff this week. Yeah. You know, that's an improvement over last week when they were hiding. <laughs> <laughs> hiding from you. Well, I was this kid, you know, I was like, I, yeah. I was kind of plucked out of school for this project at IBM and mm -hmm. I, was, I was a big enough smart ass. They said, you know, you come work at IBM. We have got this project underway. We're developing an operating system. And I said, I'll come, but you have to send me abroad. And they were like, what? And I was like, what? yeah, I want to live in a foreign country. And they're like, okay. And then I got a call the next day. I was, a, I was in this, <laughs> I got called to the design office. And this guy, here's this British guy on the other end of the phone saying, is England far enough away? I was like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> And so when, away from Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I went over there for, and you know, several hundred British computer scientists with this designer from America in 1990. Um, I was sort of like this pet project for the director of the lab. And he was sort of like, everybody, you should listen to this kid. He's got something to say. And they were all sort of like, what? out in the middle of nowhere in the West Midlands of England. And, uh, and so I had to figure out how to, how to get their ear and get them to do stuff. Uh, I took what whatever. Was, how old were you? I was like one of the youngest people to get a work visa. I was 21. That's yeah. wild. They had to prove to the British government, no one else in the country could do what I did. Yeah. It was, it was wild. It, it took yeah. them a while to get my work visa. So for the it took them from graduation to the following January to get my work visa. So in that time, I went to Citibank to work on their cash machines. Okay. And, and that was a weird thing because I was at a bank. Again, why is a designer here? Don't we just need bankers and programmers to get these cash machines out? And and I like I just had to sort of figure out what to do for them and demonstrate value and it it worked. Um, but that was kind of the life of a designer back then was you were just a an experiment. Nobody needed you. And everybody had been doing stuff without you. So and been told that it was great. What they'd done was fantastic. Now here comes this kid who doesn't know squat. But um, we had to learn, I had to learn how to program in Unix to to convince programmers at, at Citibank to listen to what I was saying, you know, like, cause otherwise I was beholden to them. I was like, Hey, can you make it do this? And they'd be like, no, get out of here. And I would like, fine. I'll go see if I can make it do that. <laughs> so, you know, off I went. So it was, it was, uh, it was, uh, you had to be pretty scrappy. And uh, there, I feel like there's a certain resilience that you need 
when you're you're at school and you're you're so excited to graduate, you're so excited to take all these things that you've learned and to go and do that, and then kind of being told, oh, we don't really need you, or pushing you away, or making it really hard for you to like at least get your foot in the door and for somebody to give you a chance. What was it like for like the people that were in your life at that time, like watching you hmm. just try to get in the door and did you come home sometimes and you were just like, I am so spent. I'm trying to do this and they're not letting me in the door. And it's so much harder than I thought it was going to be. Am I, am I reading into that? Um, yeah, no, it wasn't like that at all because oh, okay. when we were Citibank was doing this cash machine project and they came to school, like design, back then. Yeah. No job fairs for designers at Carnegie Mellon. That, like designers were kind of like, yeah, good luck. Go to New York. Really? Oh my God. Nobody helped to get a job. Like you knew the firms in New York. You all kind of competed to get their attention. You went up there with your portfolio and banged on doors. You did whatever you could. Because this project had been going on at CMU, the, the teacher, this guy, Dan Boyarski, who probably one of those influential people in my life, um, came up with this experiment for our this little section of students and he he uh had his own connections in the field Citibank came to say I want to see what you're doing and they asked me if I wanted to come work for them and I was sort of like ah hold on a minute I'm like talking to somebody else and IBM came and they said, will you come work for us? And I said, yeah, if, you, if you'll send me abroad. And, and so I was negotiating two, I was actually negotiating two jobs at the same time. <laughs> so no, I didn't have that experience. I, I was really lucky. Um, mm -hmm. I think what shocked my family was like, what's up? You're, you're supposed to be a struggling artist or something. Um, mm -hmm. And you're going to go work for Citibank or IBM. Like, what the hell is that? <laughs> Why does a bank or a big computer company need you? <laughs> what did you tell people at the time? Did you say, oh, I work in design or I work in software? Or what was that like explaining just at parties and stuff like that? Oh, hey, what's your name? Okay, what do you do? How was that like? It was awful. It was awful. <laughs> it was awful for a decade. I remember like, really? even when we were running Electronic Inc. As a, as a, you know, in, in the early days, people would say to us, what do you do? And we would use the term by that time we were saying we were user interface designers and people are like, what the hell is that? Yeah. And then we would say, well, you know, what, what appears on a computer screen? And then they would just glaze over. It was like, mm. what? Like, what? You, you design computer screens? It's like, no, no, no. We design what you interact with on a computer screen. What do you mean interact? And it was just like, holy shit, nobody gets <laughs> <laughs> like, And it was, that was like years and years and years and years of that. Mm -hmm. That was long before the internet, we were working in this space. So it was, and then people would say like, who would you do this for? And we'd say like, oh, uh, Merrill Lynch, mm -hmm. exchange. And they'd be like, what? Oh, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. No one, no one understood what we were doing. Would you ever have those moments where you would just somebody would ask you, "What do you do?" and you just sigh for a second, like, "Okay, so this is what I do." <laughs> like already anticipating people just not getting it. We used to just say oh, we're graphic designers. Oh, that's easy. Yeah, okay, that's a bit easier. Just got us off the hook, you know. It's just like. You know. <laughs> And then the internet started and everyone's like, oh, you design websites. And we never designed websites, right? Like it was like, <laughs> no, 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 no. We don't do that. 
mm-hmm. and they like, well, then what do you design? Like software, you know, it's like, and, and like old relatives used to like, my uncle used to say, like, you're like Bill Gates, right? You're like Bill Gates. Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Whatever, man. <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it was really kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. But and and Dan, like you know, I, I kept in touch with my old professor. Like, old, I hope Dan doesn't listen to this. <laughs> and and Dan was a really good sort of supporter. He was back at Carnegie Mellon, kind of growing this program in interaction design and and getting sort of a curriculum propped up around it. And he kind of kept tabs on what I was doing and some other students were doing in this space to inform his decisions. And I gotta say, he was. I, I'm. Not, I'm not sure to this day he knows how important he was to my sanity. You know, to like call on and be like, Dan, no one understands what the hell I do. Mm-hmm. And he's like, just, just keep going. You're doing great work. Just keep going. What was so significant about him? Um, I, Dan, Dan's fascination with design and his mastery of it was enviable. Um, I mean, he, he was, you know, he was kind of in the generation of designers before me. And so his was a graphic design training that was, you know, just incredibly elegant and, you know, just a sensibility for detail and, and, and an ability to discuss design that was uh, very clear and simple. it was inspiring to be around him as a young designer. Um, and he didn't see design having boundaries. He thought design as a designer, it was us that like, we are designers. This isn't a job. This is who you are. Mm. Um, And it should affect how you see the world every day. It should affect how you interact with the world every day. And, uh, I always tell kids that, um, in our, st- I told this to the kids recently in the studio, young, young, some young designers, that he was the first day of our senior studio. He came in and sort of, he's just a really unassuming guy, super nice, super smart, and said, um, "Hey, I need all your class schedules, guys. Before we get started, can you write down your class schedule for me so I I can find you when I need you?" And everybody sort of opens up their notebook and draws their class schedule and when they'll be in the studio, when they're not in the studio and they rip it out and they hand it to Dan and Dan takes them all and pins them to the board in front of the room. Wow. Says, yeah, designers, this is, this is garbage. You're designers. You, you never produce garbage. Never, not ever. You exercise thought. You're makers, you make things with purpose. It's like even in the moment, you make things with purpose. And it's like, okay, this guy wants us to be a designer 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I changed all of us that that day or at some point we all got it. Like this is this is a kind of a way of seeing the world. This is kind of a way of engaging with the world every minute of every day. Let's let's do that. Yeah, buckle up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not easy. I yeah. like I watched my kid like something I was with my kids were really little and we were I was with we were in McDonald's 
we didn't go to McDonald's. I think my kids have been to McDonald's four times in their lives at that point. <laughs> we're staying there, we order, and then we're standing back. And like It's like a weird experience. And I, my youngest says to me, Dad, this is not fast food. This is just fast ordering. <laughs> the two of them are sort of like criticizing how the place is set up. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, oh, I ruined my kids. <laughs> They're sitting here at seven and six redesigning mcdonald's <laughs> that is hilarious so i i, I that like it was a real eye-opening moment like i think it's kind of rubbed off a little bit i'd say so, <laughs> <laughs> so my wife when my, when my wife came to work at electronic Inc., she was a um just almost 30 years ago but she was a um she was a defense lawyer for insurance companies and it was an ugly job, you know, basically trying to defend malpractice suits against doctors who, in some cases, did terrible things to people. And it was a hard, hard job. And she was watching this design firm that I, it was like a collective of designers having fun and not really any business structure around us, like cashing checks and paying each other in cash and like just like not being very formal about and so she said look why don't i leave my law work and come over and run the company organize the the business side of things and i said that's great and then six months later she's working with designers every day she's reading design books and she is just like you've ruined me i used to blissfully move through this world unaware that everything it is it, now every and now I know everything's broken. <laughs> you totally messed things up for me. <laughs> what was that conversation like? Was it just funny to you, or just like, oh my gosh, fine. you get me now in a different way? Yeah. And, she's, yeah. And, and to this day, we still talk about. Like I remember, you know, just over the years, she's just like, and we were just at a panel last week. Um, mm -hmm. We were invited to be. Um, sort of represent the design profession for the gathering of the leaders of all the design PhD programs in the world. They all convened in New York and we went and we were with a few other companies. And, you know, that was, you know, Johanna talked about that and, and she said, one of the things they asked her was, well, you're not, you're not a designer. You're one of the only people in this room who is not a designer. What, what's your take? And she said, you are special people. You, not everyone's a designer and not everyone can be a designer. And there is this way your brain works. There's this way that you folks look at the world. There is this, this thing going on in all of you that is incredibly valuable. That's incredibly unique that the world needs more of. And it's just sort of like, wow, that's somebody who's been hanging out with designers for the last 30 years. And has never pretended to be one. Mm, yeah. And has embraced what's special about them. You know, so. That's so interesting to have that kind of, uh, a kind of relationship and that kind of marriage where uh, she really can understand what um, your passions are and what the structure is like. And I'm sure that definitely adds another layer to, to a relationship. Oh, that's a lot of interest. <laughs> but, well, you know, she did. She did, she did say that. Um, she's always said that she she years ago she came up with this um, this appreciation that as a lawyer, 
you begin by citing your destination. Mm. I need to be there and this is how I'm going to get there. But that is my goal. And she said, it took her so long to learn that design isn't anything like that. She said, designers set off not knowing where they're going to land. And she said, nothing could be less comfortable for a lawyer. <laughs> than, than yeah. just like, Let's go and see where we land. It's, she said, it's, it's, it's the inverse of, of the way she was trained, the way she you know, naturally thinks and solves problems. And, and uh, she said, it's, you know, she said it's really satisfying to see these other these people work in exactly the opposite way. Uh, it sounds like um, your professor in college would support the idea of the way you do one thing is the way that you do everything. Um, do you think that he would kind of see it that way? Like, well, if if you want to be a tidy person or you want to be organized, maybe your room should be clean. Maybe you are. Uh, your life should be organized, like little things like that, where the way you do one thing is the way that you do everything. Um, I, I think the, the if that one thing mm -hmm. behaving like a designer, right? Yeah. But even within that, I think there's tremendous latitude, right? Like I think sometimes, like people will say, like, "Oh, designers are tidy," and it's like, mm, I don't know. I know a lot of designers are <laughs> not very tidy, but there's a purpose there is a purpose in the way they've chosen to be. Mm -hmm. They either feel that that gives them something, but it's all been done purposefully. Um, so I would say, yeah, Dan would probably agree that there is a certain purposefulness in the way designers engage with the world. Um, yeah. There was this uh, really like, like romantic uh quote from massimo vignelli about designers do you do you know the one i'm talking about uh um uh, uh you know massimo vignelli yeah obviously okay <laughs> um so i have a lot of uh web design friends who like uh just uh develop and um so when i when i talk to them about pentagram or i talk to them about massimo vignelli or something like that they're like i have no idea what you're talking about so this is this is nice <laughs> um but uh um, yeah, so the, the quote is, uh, uh, designers like design is design from the spoon to the city. Um, just kind of this idea that it's this overarching thing that if you are interested in design, you can be interested in architecture. You could be interested in product design. You can be interested in user experience design, all of these different things. And it's such a unique industry, um, to be able to be interested in all these things. Um, uh, maybe something similar would be, be like medical. Like maybe you're interested in this kind of health. Maybe you're interested in that kind of health, but it's health overall. Um, what do you think about that, that Vignelli quote? Oh, uh, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a, it's a truth. It's, it's, yeah. it's yeah. Um, actually I'm, I'm becoming a Jane Jacobs groupie. Uh, right <laughs> Tell me who Jane Jacobs is. I don't, I don't know. So, so like, I do not profess to be a, a Jane Jacobs may be, I was reading, uh, recently that she may be amongst the most influential women of the 20th century. Really? Uh, and she's kind of, she, she's very well known in certain circles, not mainstream by a long stretch, but 
surprisingly well-known. I, I stumbled on her just to, she was mentioned in an article I was reading and I thought, hmm, who is this? J- Jane Jacobs wrote a book uh, called the life and death of great American cities or something, you know, the title is something like that. Mm-hmm. And she's an observer. She's, she's simply an observer. She was watching modern architecture. You said spoon to the city, right? She was a real antagonist um, sort of against a lot of modern movements in, in city planning and architecture when, you know, public housing projects were being built, these high rises that sort of mathematically had, you know, courtyards and, and all this sort of formulaic structure. She was pounding the tables in city council meetings saying, do do this. That is not how human be. go watch, go watch where people live successfully in cities go watch how human beings behave because what you're building is wrong and mm. she was right and she did a lot of analysis of just observing how parks are used rittenhouse square is a big part of her park and she, she, this her analysis and she talks about the parks in philadelphia how washington square is different from rittenhouse square it's just logan square versus franklin square and why? Why are they so different? It's because people are doing different things. They're they're affording different experiences. One's more successful than the other for reasons. And all of this is data that we can use to understand how to plan our cities. And she was sort of like banging on that. She's she was a designer's designer. Like she was just she she didn't understand how architects could make decisions mathematically. She. Mm she she was sort of pounding on the table saying you must understand people you must understand behaviors why are we safe in cities we're safe in cities because there's a lot of eyes there's eyes everywhere right mm-hmm. you don't you have very little crime happen when there's lots of people walking down the street right there's the, the it, it's just a it's just the way we behave as an organism and she's talking that you know, you can prop up all sorts of infrastructure to create safety, but there are certain things that are available to us. There are patterns that exist that should be replicated. Just she's fantastic. So yeah, Bignelli's right. Design is design is design. It's it's whatever. It's an event. It's an action. It's not just an object either. It's it's the orchestration of an event. That's what we're that's what we're experimenting with at Zenda now is, you know. Is it a, it's a city, it's a spoon, it's an event. Mm-hmm. How do we, how do we as designers design events? How do we put physical and, and emotional and cultural and time and space together to control it, to make it as the best thing it can be? That's what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And and also how uh, design, a lot of people used to think of it as a noun, and now people are thinking of it a little bit more as a verb. It's absolutely a verb. Yeah. <laughs> I it's, don't know. It's, um, I, I, and, and that's another thing. I think with, with a lot of this UX and, and UI stuff that's happened, um, I think it's, it's shrunk in our view of design a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we need to open up the aperture again. Mm-hmm. I, I guess, yeah, a lot of people can get um, really focused in on, um, uh, I only really think about uh, an app. <laughs> I only really think about 
even uh, you can narrow it down even more. Like uh, I could see somebody have their whole career of I only really work with the checkout process in apps. Um, that might be their their specialty, but it's so interesting though to just step back and look at the bigger picture of like, okay, well, how did this this person even get to this problem? Like, what problem were we trying to solve even in the first place? I got a lot of that um, uh, perspective when I I went and did something totally different than design and I took a copywriting class um and I got really interested in uh, they had all these these uh questions and formulas on how to ask people um the proper questions to get to the bottom of okay what exactly problem were we trying to solve and I felt a little embarrassed because I thought wow is this the first time that I'm ever asking these questions like, why am I doing all of this design and doing all of this problem solving when I don't even know what the question is that we're here to answer? Mm. <laughs> it, was, it was a humbling experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, 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 a lot of times we are hired by a client because they have a very specific idea of the problem we're supposed to solve. Mm-hmm. And the challenge for our team is to, delay addressing that until we understand what what that is and mm-hmm. and if, if it's a thing right and so and very often the clients are like don't worry it is just do it just answer this question and it's like uh, okay um we've got to go figure out if what they think is right and they're not paying us for it and they're not giving us time to do that and you, you've got to do it nonetheless you have to figure mm-hmm. out how to get, get that done can I ask you, um, looking back on design school, we'll, we'll move past design school after this, but uh, looking back on design school, I think it's really interesting um, to think about uh, um, who you were and, and how you approached problem solving um, when you first got to school in that, that first semester that you were there versus who you were when you graduated. Were those two different guys at the, at the end of those four years? I, I would say... Um, the, the moment of truth for me was the, the middle of sophomore year. Um, really? Yeah. That was what they called sophomore review. And mm-hmm. you, at the, just before the break, uh, you were, you had all your work out on your table and you met with all your, prof- your, all your professors sat with you and basically gave you what they, they told you what they thought of you. Um, mm-hmm. And in many cases, many, many cases, they said, you're done. Um, you should pack up and go. Um, and it was a really, really stressful uh, yeah. time. And I went into that review with, um, I remember my industrial design professor picked up, we had to design a set of knives. Mm. And uh, he picked up this knife and he said, uh, hands down this is the worst solution to this problem I've ever seen from any student ever. <laughs> I wasn't laughing. I was like, I'm getting kicked out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but instead these professors said, why, why do you think what, what? And I was like, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I got there. I don't know how I got to that answer. It's just the thing I thought I should do. And, and that was kind of this moment of my eyes opening where he said, 
yeah, that's your problem. Mm. It, you always begin at the end and you have to figure out how to not go to the end until you should be there. Just you've got to figure out that what design is, is that path to wherever it takes you. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you, you here, I've got to design a set of knives and you're immediately trying to figure out the right answer. And he said, that's, that's what's wrong with you. And then I got the worst grades of my whole college career. Really? Thought I'm definitely going to be asked to stay home. And then I went back and that experience was enough to open my eyes to like, I, I'm doing the wrong thing here. I just am thinking of this work in the wrong way. And it was like, I don't know, it's like somebody had taken a blindfold off me. I, I got it. Mm-hmm. Something clicked. Something clicked. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not a fast learner. So it's like, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> it's like being on the precipice for it to get through my thick skull. So yeah, that's all. That's what it took. So. Do you, uh, are you, are you grateful for that experience, even though it was really painful? Oh my God. I'm immensely grateful for that experience. Yeah. I know. I'm not sure I recognize, I mean, of course it was painful at the moment, but looking back on it, I think it's a miracle, you know, Mm -hmm. one that someone was able to show up in my life and so clearly communicate to me Mm -hmm. at a moment where it's probably not easy to communicate to someone and that I was able to hear it like that. Mm -hmm. uh, It's just like, that's like, that's a pretty special moment in your life. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I mean, that is true. Like, uh, somebody can give you the best advice in the world, but if you're not in the maturity and in the place to accept that, it's almost wasted on you. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we probably all know, looking back, I mean, probably we can't even remember all the good Mm -hmm. advice we were given that we just, (laughs) you know? And and then also an experience that's really interesting is um, uh, right after graduating, you think that uh, you know everything and you think that you're all ready and you're all excited to go. So, some people feel like they're they're very ready to go into the, the real world. And then they go into the real world and they say, oh, my gosh, the last six months that I've had actually doing real projects, I feel like I've gotten more education than the last four years. And I thought the last four years were so hard. And I didn't know that there was all of this stuff to learn. And so that was, experience was like uh, working for, for the bank and also working for IBM. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you leave school and you don't know what you don't know. And then all of a sudden the world, world is going to show you very clearly that you know nothing. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, God, what a train wreck. I mean, I, and I, it, it, because I experienced it personally, so many young kids, that's when they start to work with us, I, sort of, I have to, I have to watch myself. It's like, I can't, like, I was that kid. I mean, it's like, he's, it's like, oh my God, he's not getting it at all. He's not, and he doesn't even know it. Um, and you just really have to kind of reteach them. You have to coach them into, you know, and, you know, looking back, there were people who helped me, you know, and, and we all kind of owe each other that this discipline is a really hard field. Um, mm-hmm. You're doing it right it's really hard work. 
Um, and it's, mm-hmm. and you're always uncomfortable. You're always on your back foot. And when other people are kind to you, when they're that, that should be remembered and we should all take care of each other, um, a little better than we do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Particularly the younger, younger kids. It's like, they just need it. They need a, they need a hand up and you just got to wait it out. Um, I, I have so many stories of young designers who showed up in our studio where some of the older designers like walk into my office, rolling their eyes saying, Oh my God, what the hell were you thinking? Hiring this kid? He's dumber than a box of frogs. And it's like, no, he's not be patient. Like, Mm -hmm. and then they turn out to be some of the best designers we've ever hired. And also I imagine, uh, uh, a response you could give back to to those uh, more senior designers, like, "Hey, do you remember who you were at that age or yes. at, at that maturity level? Don't don't forget that you also didn't well, know much when you first started." <laughs> sometimes memories are short. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you you find it, you, you turn a corner in your career, and you're finally you're finally pretty fair about the view of yourself. You know, you're just sort of like, yeah. I was awful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had uh, that, that same friend who, who's that user experience researcher. We were talking uh, after graduation and after we, we started our first jobs and we looked back on the internships we did in college and uh, we looked back at our old portfolios and everything. And both of us were cringing. We were thinking, how did anybody hire us? Like, how did this work? Like, we thought that we were confident going into these interviews. What were we even confident about? <laughs> <laughs> It was so funny, but, um, but it's, it's the gift of, um, uh, maturing and getting better at something. It means the the stuff that you did in the past isn't as good as what you do now, but that's because you're growing, which is a good thing. Um, oh my God. And and you know what? It wasn't always you, (laughs) right? Like sometimes it was your environment. Sometimes yeah, I got, I, I was, uh, I gave this brief talk at this, this conference last week. And I had, I went out, I had to go dig up some design work from those IBM days in 1990, you know, really? yeah, it was awful. I mean, people looked at that and, uh, you know, I was like, this is some of the best work of my career. And I was like, what the hell? Like, like you have no idea what it took to get that put together. You know, that was, that's a, that was something that no one saw before now trying to, invent the controls for windows displays in a graphical user interface. Like it was, see that little button there. That took me six months. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and it worked. <laughs> People understood what it meant. Yeah. yeah. Can I ask you um, a little bit, uh, not work related, but what was it like to move to the UK um, at 21? when you had never lived outside the U.S. before. What was that experience like? Yeah, looking back, it was kind of reckless. I was just sort of like, <laughs> God, my home life must have been awful. But uh, <laughs> um, I, so first of all, it wasn't London, right? So I was mm-hmm. in the West, which is the absolute center of Britain. It's the furthest you can get from the ocean in mm. all of Britain. So I was way out there. It was also the early nineties. So Americans weren't, there weren't a lot of Americans around, right? Like mm-hmm. in fact, um, when I landed my landlady, I was staying in a sort of a B and B in the village. Mm-hmm. And she, she was amazed that my accent was what it was. She said, uh, 
you sound, you don't sound like an American. And I just moved from New York city. I said, like, what? <laughs> what should I sound like? And she said, you don't sound like anyone on Dallas. The television. <laughs> She's, Cause you didn't sound Texan. You were an American. Right. Like, oh, okay. And so like, as a kid, I was just like amazed at that. And so, but I learned like, Hey, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'm not as American as I think I am here. Mm. And so like, I started to use these insights to try to assimilate. I, I found myself being quieter um, and listening more um, so that I didn't speak out of turn that I could be more informed when I spoke. I learned certain patterns of behavior. I remember when my manager told me, don't have a meeting here unless you can predict the outcome 100%. And I said, oh, how do you do that? And he said, you meet with everybody that's going to be in that meeting and you make sure they're on your agenda, they're following your agenda. I was like, wow. And he's like, yeah, stack the deck. And like, I, you know, it's like, okay, that's a good, I, like, I learned a lot. Like I just found as a kid, I was smart enough, just listen and learn and figure out how I was going to, how to get by. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it was uh, fantastic. It was, it taught me how, so frankly, just be a better listener. I had to behave more like a designer, right? I had to observe. I had to like sit back and figure out what am I going to do next based on the insights I can gather at this moment? It was fascinating. It was, it was a, it was, it was fantastic. One of the best experiences of my life. So I was over there for, I guess, just about three years. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was, I mean, I don't think anyone has, I, I think those experiences today, because we're such a global mm -hmm environment I, i'm not sure many of those experiences still exist you know there's yeah. americans everywhere like you can't can't fall you know you can't go anywhere without bumping into another american but no like i was a i was an anomaly in that village you know yeah you were like you're an american like ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you experience um this this thing where if you don't hear the american accent for a long period of time it kind of weirds you out a little bit. Um, I don't know if I'm phrasing the question right, but when you were, when you were there, just growing up and hearing American accents everywhere all day, and then going someplace where you don't hear it, maybe even for like six months. What was? Did you feel that? No, you know why? Because you know when I went to work during the day, I was at IBM. Mm -hmm. It was teaming with Brits. Mm -hmm. There were there were Americans on the phone. There were mm. Americans kind of in and out of the place. So I, I had my fair dose of, of Americans. That's, that's, that's for sure. I think what surprised me was culturally how standoffish the British were at that point. Like mm -hmm. they, they, they kind of didn't reach out to make friends, mm -hmm. uh, but they didn't sort of, I guess, consciously alienate you. They just kind of like kept to themselves and, I found that really frustrating because when I was living in New York, it was just like an endless circle of friends, right? You were just like, who are you hanging out with tonight? And it took like, I, you know, it was a lonely place for a little while. Mm -hmm. Until yeah. you found your group. 
yeah. And then they became my friends for life. In fact, one of them's flying in tomorrow to spend the week with us. He's my daughter's godfather. So it's like, That's so sweet. Yeah. They're 30 years later. They're, they're some of our best friends. And we spend, we probably spend six weeks a year in Britain. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. I just came back there. I mean, it's, it's our second home for sure. That's sweet. Yeah. It's nice. It's a, yeah. Lots of friends over there. I, I think it's funny um, to uh, spend your entire um, childhood and, and uh, teenage years in the U.S. and then um, uh, have an experience where you, you go abroad and you see what the different cultures are like and realize that, hey, you know, maybe um, uh, maybe the way I do things isn't the way how the entire world does things and maybe I'm not the standard of what normal is. Um, <laughs> so my, my wife and I lived in we, we lived in London off and on for we were about half time there for three or four years and mm-hmm. we both agree that one of the big problems with America is that Americans too few Americans had the opportunity to go outside of this place and look back and mm-hmm. how really lucky we are like this country has so much going for it that the things we fight over are so stupid. The advantages we have are so tremendous, but, but it's for naught because people just don't understand. Like it's, you look back and you just like, God, do you know what it's like to live in a world where everybody in this place believes they can get something done? Like, like mm-hmm. that's amazing. Or we have the potential for for letting everybody have a chance. I, I think that's such a rare thing. Mm-hmm. Like, God, we're we're so lucky in this country. We have so much, and I don't think people get it, and they don't understand our role as a leader in the world. That mm-hmm. the world's looking at us. They're watching. They they want to know that this experiment's working. And when we behave the way we've been behaving lately, it's, God, it brings everybody down, the whole world down. It brings Mm. the thinking world down because there is a hope, like that experiment over there is really might work. No, it's just, that's it. I mean, it's it's not designed. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating. It's, it's um, uh, quite, quite weird when I, talk with i i've made like a ton of friends who uh aren't from the u.s uh since i went to college like a bunch of the international kids and then i started making friends like through podcasting and and through online and everything like that and uh one thing that i noticed is that um i am much more open um in talking about uh career and like aspirations and I, if somebody's talking to me about their career and, 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 uh, their aspirations for where they wanted to go with it, I don't find that as like bragging or I don't find that as anything negative because I have this like thing in my mindset that it's aspirational and nothing's really out of reach. And, uh, if somebody's explaining to me something that they are doing, I'm like, oh, that's great. I want them to get it. Maybe I could get that too because nothing's ever really too far out of reach. And then some of my friends that are from other countries, they might see that person as bragging because in other environments, 
um, a lot of things really are out of reach mm -hmm. and um, it's not as accessible. And um, uh, where you are born and, and what family you're born into really determines what you do with your life. And I thought that was such an eye opener um, for me thinking that, oh, wow, um, maybe the environment that I was born into um, really affects my, my psyche and like how I relate to other people and, and their successes and, and joys in life. Yeah, what 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 an advantage you have because mm -hmm. that's that's the place you that the universe put you. You know, like that's yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that a whole lot of us in this country are are very lucky for having been placed in this spot. Yeah. But I don't think enough of us know the responsibility that comes with that. Mm -hmm. Um or the privilege. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think uh, definitely traveling outside the U.S. Um, is such an amazing thing. I didn't get to do it until I was um, 19. Uh, and I, I've, I have a bunch of friends in Eastern Europe. And so that's definitely like a huge eye opener. Um, uh, I don't know, talking with people about just the, the dramatic difference in, in how we grew up and how our parents grew up and everything like that and all of the difficulty that they went through. Um, it's, it's really incredible. Um, uh, just appreciating what you have. Um, and because I don't know your friends that grew up the same time as you, their childhoods were very, very different. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's really interesting. Um, and I'm very grateful for those friendships. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I did want to ask you with the, with the bit of time that we have left, um, I want to talk to you about what you're doing now and, uh, and what life is like for you now with, um, just being more hands-on with design and being more in a different role. Yeah. So we, um, you know, my wife and I, we sold the company. We, uh, mm -hmm. kids went off to college sold the house in Philly. We moved to Manhattan. Wow. This great apartment on Hudson Yard, <laughs> looking out over the Hudson River. And um, we started this company called Zenda. And and it's um, we've just taken over the other half of the 50th floor of the Chrysler building. It's really fun. I, I mean, I love, I talk about a lot about being in that building because I've loved that building since I was a little kid. And now I'm like working in it. And it's, I'm I'm kind of amazed every day I walk through the doors and up the elevator. But the thing we're doing now is we, Johanna and I talk a lot about the fact that it's very much like we were doing what we were doing in 1990. Mm -hmm. right? This is an experiment. This is to see if design, how does design work in the definition of work? Mm -hmm. um, when we were starting out, when I was starting out in the 90s, we didn't even know what designers should make being involved in software development. We didn't have any techniques at our disposal or any methods defined. We just borrowed from our traditions to invent this work inside software. Now we're, we're, we're doing the same thing again, but what we, we're doing is working with companies to say that the way you've been designing work, frankly, is broken. It hasn't been effective, not in the last several decades. How you figure out 
how to put together these pieces mm -hmm. to create uh, uh, an event is it's, it's, it's non-existent. How do we put together technology and culture and place and people and regulation, data, you name it, in a, in a fashion that we can prove that this thing works and then implement it. And we used to draw a lot of analogies to architects when we were trying to figure out what user interface design is or should be. And we're doing that again in that, you know, if you think about the way designers, the architect created the means by which plumbers and electricians and zoning officers and investors, masons communicate with each other to prove the object before we invest. We're trying to do that now for work. Mm -hmm. And it's tough, um, but it's working. It's uh, we've put together a bunch of really, really talented designers. We're about 40 folks now. And as ever, these are designers who used to be in fashion design or architecture or UI design or you name it. Mm -hmm. And behavioral scientists and anthropologists and sociologists. And they're doing some really remarkable stuff. That's fantastic. Looking back on um, uh, all of the different uh, points in your story that we've we've covered and looking back on who you were at all of these different stages, when you think about that guy and you think about um, where you are now, is that making you feel a little present? What, is, what does that feel like to, to look back and then then see where you are now? Um, yeah, uh, I think looking back, I, 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 I realized that there were moments in my career where the world was just moving too fast, that mm -hmm. I, it was just moving so fast. Um, and I think we all have that time in our lives. Now, like you turn 50 and it's like, oh my God, I can take a breath. Like I raised my children and like, I got through that. And, and I'm, I'm I think you're always raising your children until they put you <laughs> Um, it's not the sort of day-to-day -day chaos of all of these variables up in the air and all of these plates spinning. And now it's, it's a much more thoughtful time for, for, for me. Um, I'm being much more careful about the designers I spend my time with. The people in our office are very carefully sort of... <laughs> <laughs> to join us yeah because they are also i have i have a lot to learn from them mm -hmm. uh, and and i want to make sure they're also learners that they can learn from each other i want this environment where we're all kind of figuring things out um i you know i'm just the oldest guy in the room i am not even close to the smartest and so <laughs> is um i i bring age to the table each other people bring something else to the table. <laughs> um, experience. Experience. That's that's a good word. experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but is it, this is a very it's it's a it, in many ways it's, it feels a lot like the old days. In many ways, it couldn't feel more different from the old days. Um, yeah. 
if there was uh, somebody listening that that is maybe at one of those points um, in your journey and and maybe they feel very similar to how you felt at those different stages, is there any any piece of advice that you would give um, if you think about any of those stages of your life? If you could look back, not to change anything, but if somebody's listening where your past is their present now, so, yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I, in my old age, I, I meditate every day now, uh, have been for the last few years. And I could have used that mm. a long time ago. And I, I think that, um, I think when you're younger, you spend a lot of time pushing against the things that you wish weren't happening and grasping on to the things you want more of. And that's exhausting. <laughs> and I think it, you know, what meditation has kind of taught me is that pushing and pulling is not worth it. That mm -hmm. the good and the bad will come and go from life. It's just knowing that that's life. Just let it happen. Like let stop the wrestling match. Um, but I'm not sure. Maybe that's youth. Like I can look back. <laughs> you're supposed to do that when you're younger. Cause that's, that's what you do. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't, I'm not sure. I, I, I grew up with a grandmother who lived to be 104. Wow. And I remember like when she turned a hundred, you know, the local newspaper wanted to interview her. And I remember being there then the, when the journalist and the journalist was so disappointed in what she had to say because she wasn't, she didn't speak from some sort of prophetic voice of the, you know, like, <laughs> this is what you ought to do in life. It was just sort of like life came and life went and I was present and I did my best. And like, I know you want me to say there was something profound when I saw the, you know, the first astronauts go to the moon or I saw the first car go down the street in my, my town, but just sort of like, it was just life happening um, at those moments. And that's, I just tried to be present. I kind of felt like, I feel like that when people ask me, like looking back, I was like, mm -hmm. maybe in my case, I could have been a little more present, a little less worried, a little less sweat in the future when <laughs> could have been <laughs> being there. Yeah. That's something I struggle with too. Like, like giving yourself the, the permission, to just be present and to, to, not let an experience go past you just because you're worrying about the thing that's next. Um, and that's something that uh, I'll work on for a long time. <laughs> and I feel like that's going to be an ongoing thing. And maybe even you too. <laughs> I think everybody gets out of bed in the morning and has to try to figure out how to be present. Yeah. I, I'm not sure it's, it's second nature to us. I think this is, it's yeah. I think it's something to work on. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think, I think age gives you certain skills that you didn't have when you were younger, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So. Every year I look back on the, the previous year and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so stupid. I'm so much smarter now. And then the year passes. I was so stupid again. I'm so such so smarter now. <laughs> just, just wait till you come back 30. And like, <laughs> what the hell was I thinking? Yeah. Just give yourself a little bit of grace. <laughs> yeah. Um, but speaking of being present, um, we just did two hours. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's a great conversation. 
I'm so thankful for the, the time that you gave me because it's this is such a gift. I, I love being able to do these with people and I wouldn't be able to do it just by myself. But you know, I, I think you give I think you give your your guests something too. Like, you know, I I, I don't think anybody takes enough time to think. Like just to, to have someone uh give you two hours to reflect, um, that's a gift. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. I, I, this is just yeah it's really one of my favorite things to do um and i just learned so much about about different people um and the the funny thing is is just they just all happen to be designers and developers and software <laughs> engineers <laughs> and those are just who my friends are and and that's that's who i get to to spend um at least two hours with uh once a week with and it's it's really fun wouldn't, well, wouldn't choose it any other way <laughs> Great. My best, some of my best friends are designers too, and <laughs> they're demanding people. They make sure that you're always your best self. Um, <laughs> fine, I'm on my toes around my designer friends. Just <laughs> don't say anything stupid, Harold. And <laughs> these people will tell you when you say something stupid. <laughs> it's it's the directness. It's it's you. It's a what you see is what you get in your friendship. There's no guesswork. <laughs> Yeah, there's something about that sort of like your, that training and critique that you get in school carries through every part. You know, you're a designer every minute of every day, right? So you might as well just be as critical as ever. Um, <laughs> any moment of the day is a critique. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, I, I could ask some of my design friends like, um, so I'm going out tonight. What do you think of this outfit? And then they'll actually tell you like, well, um, I think I have a skirt that's better. I think I have this that's better. Like, let me, let me help you. And, and the, all of the positive intent is there. It's just, it's quite funny. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't go away with age. Trust me. <laughs> the candor is still there. Um, I've uh, two, two questions to ask you before, before we go. Um, uh, one question is, uh, Looking forward, so we talked about the past and we talked about the present, but um, looking forward at the future, um, is there anything short-term or long-term that you're looking forward to? Oh, uh, short-term, long-term. Uh, yeah, so, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a doting father, right? So um, my oldest has her white coat ceremony this summer at med school, so that's that's pretty damn big thing. I'm that's amazing. I'm so thrilled for her. Um, and that's, that's fantastic. I'm, I can't tell you how proud I am and how happy I am. about. And, and, and longer term, my, my second is graduating from law school next year. And so she's, uh, that knowing who this person is and that she has, uh, put herself through that, uh, rigor, that challenge uh, is uh, it's inspiring to me. And so that those two things are like the big beacons in my short and long term. That's beautiful. Your, your daughters truly did not choose easy careers. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> they, That was, that's hard. It's a lot of hard work and I'm glad that it all paid off. They, they're that's I mean they've they've worked their whole lives they've just they they've been very privileged kids but uh, they've never lost sight of that and they've always been willing to work and what my oldest is doing she's a in the first year of med school is public health and mm -hmm. she's spending herself her time in some pretty 
pretty tough neighborhoods doing some pretty tough work. And mm-hmm. that's great. So much respect for both of them. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. Thanks. And my, my very last question is um, if uh, somebody's listening to this and uh, something that you said was really interesting to them, or maybe they just uh, want to reach out to ask you a question or to say hi, um, are you open to that? And what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? Uh, they yeah, just ping me on LinkedIn. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> My email address is really long. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, I'll make sure that your LinkedIn is in the description, and so people can just click and go. And um, that that's everything. Thank you so much for your time. And thank this you, Emily. Wonderful. This has been great. Thank you for uh, thank you for asking me to join you. And uh, your questions were terrific, and the conversations. <laughs> I hope this is just goodbye until next time. Great. Yeah. And if you're in New York, come by. Absolutely. I'm not too far. <laughs> Great. In fact, our team's down in Drexel this week, I think, running around. Oh, really? Oh, that's right around the corner from me. Is it? Are you? Wait, so what do you do? My daughter's lived in West Philly for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I went to Drexel and uh, right now I, um, I'm working remotely for uh, a Boston company, uh, Zipcar. Oh, oh wow. UX, yeah. Yeah. I'm one of their UX designers. Oh, good for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> man, there's one of the early disruptors. Yeah, I, it's very funny. All of my friends, they they see the Zipcar parking uh, spaces, and they always text me. I had, I had a friend this week. Uh, he was in London. He said, oh, I saw a Zipcar, and I thought of you. Like, every time somebody sees a Zipcar um, uh, poster, all of my friends text me. They're like, oh, this Aww. is Emily, because she's so passionate about her job, and she talks about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good. Good yeah, for you. Yeah, thank you. Well, if if I am uh, if I'm around, I will let you know. And uh, thank you for everything. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Emily. Yeah.